Welcome to the August 4th Sermon from the Revival at Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst, delivered by Dr. Michael Fitzgerald, pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. The scripture is Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27, and the sermon is entitled, Action in the End Times. Now tonight, God has led me to lead you in the thought and in the action of serving the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our mind and soul in being in action for Him. This past month or so ago, probably six weeks ago, I was on the lawnmower. And as I was rolling along in the yard, and I looked up in the beautiful blue sky that day, and I thought of it as well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, and the clouds roll back as a scroll. And I thought that day on the lawnmower, what an awesome sight to think that God one day and maybe one day soon is going to roll back these clouds and roll back this sky and we're going to see into His glory. And we're going to see His Son come. And the seed for this sermon got planted on a lawnmower. What really gives us purpose as the people of God. What gives us direction as the people of God, believers in this day? What guides our day? What guides our long-term goals of life? Is it what we earn? Is it what we accumulate? Is it what we produce? Is it what we build? What gives us purpose in our days? Here's my long-term goal. As long as the Lord allows me to live from this point forth, my long-term goal is to leave a legacy for the Lord Jesus Christ. To leave footprints that people can follow to Jesus. You know, how much money and how much stuff I leave behind for my family, I have no control of. Who knows what's going to happen in life? It might take away every cent and everything that I have. I have no control of that. But I can control my legacy. I can control the way I live for Jesus Christ, the way I show the Savior to my family and to my church and to my community. I want to leave behind a legacy for the Lord, the footprints that I lay so others can follow those footprints of mine to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the inheritance and that's the legacy that I want to leave. In the age in which we live today, I believe that we are living in a critical moment of history. And I believe that we are hearing voices rising up as warning flares that we are facing increasingly challenging days in our country and in our world. The times are getting serious. The world is walking away from Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and God Almighty and His control and His rule over us. I do believe that we are approaching the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I can't pontificate as to when that's going to be, but I believe that it's close. Whether that's a day or a month or ten years from now, it's close. This I can guarantee you, it is not a day that's floating around in eternity. It is on God's timetable. It is nailed down when Jesus is returning for us. And I can guarantee you this, while I might not know the date, I can tell you we're one day closer than we were yesterday. The time is coming. When the Lord is going to come for us, a Jewish rabbi whose name is Jonathan Kahn wrote a book in 2012 called The Harbinger. And he says that God has 
sent many warnings to Israel. As you look at the Old Testament, when the people of Israel walked away from God, God warned them. Primarily, we can see that he warned them through the judges and he warned them through the prophets. And he called them back over and over again. And they would briefly come back and they would be faithful to God and then they would wander away again and he would have to recall them back again and again and over and over. God warned them and pulled them back to himself. And Jonathan Kahn said, I believe that God is warning America in this day. And one of the pivotal warnings of America happened on September 11, 2001, when God pulled back his protective hands from our country and terrorists attacked us on our own soil. We were warned as a country that day. And sadly, that day and the month or two following that, our churches were full, but it petered out. And churches shrank right back down to what they were. People came back. People were faithful. People returned to God. And then they slowly drifted away again. Churches emptied back out. But the warning was heard and heeded for a little time. And we, the church, need to realize that there's never been a more important time in history to leave a legacy for Jesus Christ than right now. This day. In fact, we see these days as we read the Old Testament book of Daniel. You don't have to turn there tonight. That's not my primary scripture. But in Daniel chapter 9, in that chapter, we have what Sir Isaac Newton called the backbone of all prophecy in the Bible. In other words, all the prophetic word of the Bible is attached to the backbone, to the structure of of Daniel chapter 9. Let me give it to you very, very briefly. For the sake of the sermon, it's going to be very simple. God gives Daniel an outline of prophecy that spans 70 weeks. And every one of those weeks is compiled of seven years. So basically 490 years. 70 weeks of seven years. And as the prophecy plays out, Daniel lived in Babylon five centuries before Jesus was born to the earth took on flesh and walked among us. And as those weeks have played out, basically the week started in Daniel's day and played out through the time that Jesus was born and lived and died on a cross and rose from the grave and ascended back to heaven. And at that point, you reach the end of 69 weeks. And then the church age begins. The age of the creation of the bride of Christ to follow Jesus and to take the gospel into the world. And according to the biblical word, the, the church age is not given a time frame. We don't know how long the church age will be. It's an indefinite period of time that will last until Jesus comes back to get us. I believe that he's going to take us home. The church body, the bride of Christ, is going to be pulled out of this earth before the great tribulation begins. And the moment that Jesus returns for his church and gets us out of this mess and gets the salt off of the earth, the rot is going to set in and the seven years of the Great Tribulation are going to begin then. The 70th week is played out during the Great Tribulation that we see in the book of Revelation. And then Jesus is going to culminate all of history and it's going to be done. That's as simple as I can make the prophecy. The 70th week begins with the Great Tribulation. And right now, we're noticing and hearing words rising from many places that we're in the last days and that the times on our earth are becoming 
extremely critical, and I think we feel it. Can't you feel the tension of the days? Can't you feel things changing, times getting worse, people walking farther and farther away? I believe that one of the reasons that Jesus has not come back is because there is still a remnant of the faithful among us, and they are taking the gospel to a lost and dying world, and we're part of that remnant, church. Praise God, right here in this little community of Clifford, we're part of the remnant that takes the gospel to the world. But I want to address tonight, what should God's people be doing in these critical times? There's the seed on the lawnmower. Before the sky rolls back as a scroll, what are we to be doing? Does the world need change? Absolutely so. What is going to bring change to the world? Jesus Christ working through his church in the world. I believe the church needs a sweeping revival, bringing us back to our core and what we're about and what we're for. And our ministry is to not just simply meet to worship, but to go out to serve, to take the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. So here's what God has laid on me. It's all connected to the direction that Jesus gives about critical days. I want you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. As Jesus prepares his disciples for ministry after he dies on the cross, after he raises from the dead, before he gets to that point, his training and teaching his disciples because they're the ones who are going to receive the baton of his ministry. They're the ones who are going to be the first to carry on. At this point, we're the last to be carrying on in that baton. But these guys are the first. And in Matthew chapter 16, we see Jesus taking them to a very lost area called Caesarea Philippi. And he scans all over this lost city, a city that's filled with false gods and false temples and false worship. And he asks those men who are walking with him, who do, who do other people say I am? And they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet returned. And I imagine past the scripture that we see, the conversation went on about who other people thought he was. But here's the crux of the conversation. Here's where Jesus brings them. And this is a hold-your-breath moment in scripture because Jesus says, You've walked with me a long time. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter speaks. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Praise God, Peter was exactly right. One of the greatest confessions of who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, pick up with me, Matthew 16, look at verse 18. In response to Peter's faith, in response to Peter's surrender that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, here's what Jesus says, verse 18. And I say un also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now drop down to verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. 
For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Let's stop there. If Jesus were to come back for his church tonight or tomorrow or in 10 years, whenever God sees fit for him to come, what should we be doing? What should be our action? What should be our activity? You know, we'll never figure out humanly when Jesus is going to return. Many have tried for some reason. I don't know why anyone tries because the Bible says don't even try. When Jesus took on flesh and walked among us, he said, I don't even know. Only God the Father knows. Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. We don't know when. But it is very plain that we should know what we should be doing in these days. Jesus says when he suddenly opens the skies and returns, Blessed are the servants who have taken up their crosses and are following him in sacrifice and service. Blessed are the ones that he finds working in the kingdom's work when he returns. Servants who are relating the gospel to the world. Should he tarry, servants who are preparing the next generation to take our place, that we be a mighty, ongoing presence for the gospel in the world. Witnesses who are inviting the lost to Jesus Christ. Again, Matthew 24, 46. Blessed are the servants who are working when the Lord shall come. Should Jesus come at any moment, may he find us busy in the work of the kingdom. Taking Christ into the world. Taking Jesus to the lost. That's our task. That's our goal. And that's the legacy that we are to leave. We live every day not languishing, not being lazy. We live every day not simply pulling out the lawn chair into the front yard and gazing at the sky just waiting for it to open. That's not what the Lord teaches us to do. We're not to go every day packing up our barns and filling up our bank accounts. That's what, not God, what God asks us to do. We're to live every day like it's the last day we have. Can, you get, can I get into the mindset of I need today to be lived like it's the last day I have? What would I do with the last day I have? You know, the word of Jesus is watch, but he doesn't mean just simply sit down and watch. He means work watching for me to come. Work like I'm coming in a minute. Work like today's your last day. Work because the end of the work is coming. Finish up. Finish well. That's what he's teaching us. We passionately reach every soul we can before the last minute comes. Brother Earl's words last night, soul winning for Christ every single day. We have a holy work, church, and every day is important. At nearly 65 years, I understand that now more than I ever did. Every day counts. And there will never be a do-over day. If we waste a day, it will never be given back to us to retry. Every day counts. 
And as God's people, we are living in a critical, critical time in our world's history. So as I say all of that, I want to give you four firm steps as to what we are to be doing as the church and as believers, as God's people in a critical day. Four steps that I believe are very important. Four steps that God has given to me. First, believers are to be active in the world's system. Let me give you what I mean by that. We are to be active in the systems of this world, of the lost world. You remember that God employed Joseph and Daniel in leadership, godly men in ungodly government. The government of Egypt, the government of Babylon, and God employed His sons in those godless governments. And we see that He used them mightily there. You know, we, we often criticize ungodly shortfalls in our state government and in our federal government. And, and I have to tell you, I'm guilty. I've done my share of criticism as well. We look at other world systems and we are saddened and we almost can't believe what we see happening in our public schools. Allowing children to choose their gender and choose their bathroom. The world demands that our teaching standards go farther and farther away from God's Word. We're appalled that hospitals and clinics devalue and abort babies because they're inconvenient. We're living in a lost world. And we need to be on our knees for God to bring change about in this world. But let me warn you of this. When you're on your knees and when I'm on my knees praying for change, God says, I can bring change, and it's going to come through you. I'm not appointing somebody else to this job. It will come through you. I'm appointing you to get involved in the law systems of the world. God asks us to be involved. He may lead, lead on a believer's heart to run for public office. He may lay it on a believer's heart to have a seat on the school board or on the board of directors of a clinic or a hospital. He may lay it on the heart of a Christian young person to get the education that you might be a Christian teacher in the public school system. And I want to say this to our church. Praise God for the Christian teachers and administrators of Clifford Baptist Church in our public schools. Praise God for you. Praise God for our Christian law officers and first responders in the systems of the world from Clifford Baptist Church. Praise God for the government leaders, and there are leaders in government in our church. Praise God for those who are involved in that holy work in a field of need. You know, we're not supposed to run from the world. Jesus did not run from sin. He did not run from the world. But rather, he confronted, he, and we're to stand for Jesus Christ in the systems of the world and be involved there. We're to vote Christian values in our systems of the world. And we're to ask God to use our voices that we will be heard, that change will come through the name of Jesus Christ where we live. The world's systems will only change for Christ if Christians will take Jesus there. And if we're on our knees asking for the Lord to change the world, he's going to say, I can do it. 
and it's your assignment. Maybe tonight you need to lay that on this altar. Lord, how am I supposed to be involved in the world? Lord, use my involvement as a teacher, an administrator, a law officer. Use me, Lord. Use me in your service. I put that on the altar before you, Lord, and I ask you to use me there. The altar is going to be open tonight for you to come. Step number two. The second step we take as the church is that you and I are active witnesses for Jesus Christ in the general public eye. We represent Jesus Christ in Walmart, the grocery store, the workplace, the classroom, the car dealership. We represent Him wherever we go in public. You know the old saying is that we might be the only Bible that someone ever reads. How true that is. We represent Him, and we are called to represent Him and stand for Him without compromise when we're walking in the world in the general public. We are to honor Him. We are to pay our bills on time. We're to pay our taxes on time. We're to live above reproach. We're to be trustworthy in public because we're standing for the ultimate trustworthy one of Jesus Christ. We represent Him, and we should represent Him well. You know, I don't believe we will ever know the true impact we make on some people's lives when we simply walk for Jesus. I believe we will understand how we impacted lives when we get to heaven. And God rolls back the tape and shows us lives that were changed simply because they watched you and me in public. Be faithful in the public eye. Walk for Jesus in every public setting. Here's the third step we need to take. Be active in the work of your church. Be active in the work of your church. We have almost 900 people here. We have about 600 jobs, and we're still looking for workers. That doesn't, make, that doesn't, that, that doesn't mathematically work out. All of us need to be busy in the work of the ministry of the church. The church is the creation of Jesus Christ, and according to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, this is not your church, this is... My church. And we are supposed to serve Him and work for Him within the setting of the church. The church's ministry is not optional to the child of God. The world sees it that way. There are so many Christians, so many people who are believers, and yet they're not involved in the church. That's a disconnect for me. I don't understand that. Because the Lord saves us, and then He says, I want you in the family of Christ, and I want to use your talents within the family of Christ that helps you understand that you yourself are a minister, and you're to be using your talents for me. Every believer has a set of gifts and talents like no other person. As Paul describes the church in 1 Corinthians 12, he describes it in terms of a physical body. Now, for those of you who are really young and you haven't had any problems yet. When the body is working right, it is a good thing. But when the parts start to fail, and when the parts start to hurt, and the parts are not working in coordination with one another, life gets tougher. Amen? Thank you. So it is true with the church. As Paul said, the church is put together like the physical body, and some of us have jobs that are high volume and, and they, they stand out and you see them happening 
like your heart and your brain. Then there, then there are lowly tasks to be done that nobody sees, but every part has its function and every part has its need and everything has to work well for the body to be healthy. So it is true for the church. There are jobs that stand out like the preacher and the teacher. There are jobs that are lowly and are hidden like those people. God bless them in the nursery. God bless them who are working with the children tonight. We don't see them, but we know they're there. But every one of us should be involved in the ministry of the church because Jesus says so. The body of Christ needs to function well, and everybody here is needed in the church's ministry. It is a critical day, and the church needs you. The Bible never says that Christians are constantly to drift or float in and out of the church. Very little is accomplished with a life like that. The one who ties in and says, I'm here in the thick and the thin. I'm here for the good and the bad. I'm here to do my part, and I'm here to serve the Lord. We commit to the body, and we take up the work. Jesus builds on Peter's faith. He calls the church to storm, to attack the gates of hell. We are the ones who are attacking the gates of hell. The gates of hell are not prevailing up against us. We're prevailing toward the gates of hell. We're pulling the lost from the gates of hell. We have holy work to do. We proclaim the gospel of the living Lord Jesus Christ. We don't merely sit on padded pews to take in the gospel, but we're going to get up and we're going to leave here so that we can take out the gospel. And every one of us is called to do that. Surrender to that call tonight. I may be preaching to someone in this sanctuary or someone who is joining us on stream. I may be preaching to someone who has been called as a pastor. I may be preaching to someone who has been called as evangelist. I may be preaching to someone who has been called to teach children or teach adults. I may be preaching to someone who has been called to be a missionary. I may be preaching to someone who has been called to serve in some area of the church that will never be seen, but the job needs to be done. Will you lay that on the altar tonight? If God is calling you, will you bring that to the altar tonight and say, Lord, I am available to your call. I surrender to your call. I give my life to you. Whatever you ask me to do, Lord, I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to lay it on this altar tonight. I'm giving it to you. I'm putting it before you, surrendering to what you call me to do. Fourth and final step. We move to what I see as the pinnacle of service to the king in this fourth step. You and I are called to take the gospel to our family. And we are to live the truth of Jesus Christ in our families. Christian, that is your primary legacy. And that is the inheritance that the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to leave. However many years he gives you and me on this earth, that's the inheritance and that's the legacy that he asks us to leave. My days are fewer in front of me than they are behind me. I know that. I'm very aware of that. And so with 65 years of age coming, I see every day as growingly more important that God has something for me to do in every one of those days. And I praise God for rounding the curve and coming close to 40 years at Clifford Baptist Church. And I praise God that we have seen hundreds saved in this ministry in 40 years. 
And I praise God that Clifford Baptist Church will be part of my heavenly celebration for all eternity because we have worked together and strived together in the ministry of the living Lord Jesus Christ. But I cannot go to heaven without my family, my wife, my children, my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law, my grandsons. I cannot bear the thought of going to heaven without my family. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? My family is part of me. Part of me resides in my family. They're part of my life and my soul. You can't lose your family, brothers and sisters. And I believe that there are many among us who need to simply bring our children and our grandchildren and our families and people whom we love in our lives. We need to bring them to this altar and say, Lord God, tonight I surrender them to you. I pray your blessing and your moving in these lives that they will come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I can't leave my family. I can't leave my friends behind. I need you, Lord, to use me to work and to reach out in these lives. Help me be a soul winner in these lives. And say, Lord God, bless us. We are surrendered to your will in our lives as we want to serve Jesus Christ. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.